Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. You know, it's Resurrection Sunday. Amen. I love that there's a little pause. Like, wait a minute, this ain't Easter. Uh, you, need to, you need to be mindful of the fact that the New Testament church began meeting on Sunday rather than Saturday uh, because of the resurrection. And so that's why we meet today in honor of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any of y'all glad the grave couldn't hold him? Can you imagine where you'd be today had Jesus stayed dead? I'm just sort of looking at you right now. I don't know where we're at. Anybody can imagine? Can you imagine like the depths of depravity and hopelessness? I don't know. Maybe I'm preaching to a group of people who've never lived like I lived. Um, But I'm so thankful today that Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, is able to redeem my life. So if you have your Bible today, uh, as we continue to get to know him better, turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And I want to say I'm so thankful for the children in the room and the middle-aged folk in the room and the older folk in the room and everybody in between. And so today, we are going to be gracious with each other. Amen? No? Yes? All right. Uh, Gracious meaning uh, some of us will have to move around a little bit. Some of us will be still. Some of us back will hurt. We need to stand up. I'm just stand up if you need to, you know. I I say um, I'm thankful that it's, it's not a rigid place, but at the same time, uh, we're going to ask the Lord to hold our attention for the next hour and a half. Uh, I'm not going to go that long. Relax, okay? But I do want to do something as we get started, okay? Everybody together. You found Acts 9. Let's do another exercise together, okay? I want everybody in the room that has a phone with them to find it real quickly. Put your hand on it, okay? I'm going to wait on you. And, uh, and then I want you to hold it up when you find it, okay? I want to see how many people in the room actually have a phone, Okay, now some of y'all got them up early and wait on the slower folk. Give them a minute. All right, yeah, some of y'all are trying to find them. I'm just going to wait now. I don't want to call names out if you don't got your phone up. Okay, or if you got your phone in here with you, go ahead and hold it up for me. All right, do this favor for me. Reach on the side of that thing and cut the volume off. Huh? How about that? I tricked you to that. And now what, we did that in the early service and we didn't have one phone go off. Isn't that awesome? And so we're about to embark on a journey and through the preaching of God's word and we don't want anything to distract us. Okay? So if you would, just put that thing on silent. You always hear me say, be a missionary from your chair, too. If you're on social media, you could turn the volume all the way down real quickly, share our service on on, uh, Facebook, and we see people reached for the glory of God all over the world through you guys right here in this room. For those of you who are joining with us online, you can share from your home, from the office place, from the captain's room, from your patrol car, even in the ambulance. And so I encourage you to do that. Be a missionary from where you're seated. Okay, now that we've gotten that out of the way... I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet today in honor of reading God's Word. Would you do that? Acts chapter 9. And we're going to begin in verse number 1. It's been a morning already, hasn't it? Man, y'all should have seen the chaos in that baptism room. It was awesome, man. The floor soaking wet, people bumping into each other. And I'm telling you, it was, I love that kind of stuff. You know it? I love it. I love it when it's not real orderly, huh? And the uh, Holy Spirit just sort of does what He does. And so I'm, I'm thankful for Him. And for you. So this morning, Acts chapter 9. Quickly, who wrote it? A physician by the name of Luke. It's his second letter. His first, of course, has his name. The gospel according to 
Luke, written to an audience of one guy, but obviously meant by God to be passed around, right? And the audience was a man by the name of Look at you guys. Boy, y'all are getting to be biblical scholars up in here. Now, some of y'all are in here going, well, how do these people know all this? Here's a word for you. Consistency. You keep coming back, and you'll be surprised a year from now how much you understand and can defend your Bible. So, Theophilus. A uh, letter of Luke's gospel was written for the intent of, he says in the first few chapters of Luke, he says, I've written this orderly account, O Theophilus, that Theophilus would know that what he heard about Jesus' life, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection were altogether true. So he's, Luke, the gospel according to Luke was for that purpose. The book of Acts was written by Luke to the same guy, but now the purpose is, I want to show you, Theophilus, what the life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection of Jesus look like in acts or actions in the lives of those people who have surrendered to him. And so today, that's where we pick up, Acts chapter 9. We're going to find out about a man by the name of Saul, who you may also know is a man by the name of Paul. Now, many people, God bless you, many people will feel like that uh, somewhere that Jesus was the one that changed his name. That's not true. Uh, Saul was his Hebrew name, and Paul was his Roman name. You, you realize he had dual citizenship. And so some of y'all are really sad now. Don't be, don't be. And Jesus still changes his life, much more than his name. And so with a little context now, there's been a man by the name of Saul who has been killing followers of the way. Now, does anybody know where the follower of the way would come from? John chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus said about himself. Do you remember what he said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no person will ever come to the Father except by me. That's what Jesus said. So followers of the way are those who are followers of Jesus. Only Jesus. Not Jesus and Buddha, not Jesus and uh, Mahatma Gandhi, but, but Jesus. Okay? Now, with that thought in mind, let's read verses 1 through 9 together. Everybody okay? Y'all having as much fun as I am already? See, I missed y'all last week. Even though I got to preach about three times in Alaska, I feel like I haven't been here in a month. So I hope you came with a lump. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if he found any who were, here it is, of the way. Now, now who is he talking about? Those that are following who? Jesus. Okay, got that. Whether men or women that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, he was not bringing them bound to have a fellowship meal or to have a sit-down testimony time. He was bringing them there to have them killed, starved, tortured, because they were followers of Jesus. All right, reading a little further, verse number three. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground. And he heard this voice, and the voice was saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says back to the voice, who are you? And he says a very important word here. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, he said back to the voice, back to the person, back to now the name, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise. In other words, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. 
Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into, oh, where was he going? Damascus. And he was there for three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Would you bow with me for just a moment? Lord, I just want to say thank you for waking us up this morning, giving us an opportunity to gather as your people. I thank you for the blood of Christ that has the power to cleanse somebody like me clean from my sin. Thank you this morning for the word, the blessed privilege of preaching it. Now, Lord, would you help me to approach this task by the power of your mighty spirit? Lord, help me now to preach the word with clarity and with boldness and in such a way that the oldest and the youngest, the most educated and the least would all come away understanding and knowing they've heard from the Lord. So, Father, as you do that through such a weak vessel as myself, put on display today, you can use anybody, anywhere, anytime, because you're God. So let someone believe today their life has purpose, and you can do it. And, Lord, as you help me to preach it, help me to also receive it. There are many voices, God, that are, well, they're trying to get our attention. And so would you tune our ears into your voice and your voice only? May it be as if we were sitting in a room with our daddy and you were holding us by the face, looking in our eyes and speaking life to us. So teach us, shape us, mold us, transform us. We pray that in the power and authority of Jesus' name and the people of God said together, amen. Seated. You may be seated. It's a comfortable chair, by the way, isn't it? Amen. And did you notice there's some expansion things going on? And so thank you for being gracious, maybe getting in the parking lot, maybe getting out of the parking lot, maybe having to use these doors and not use the front door. And what we here at Hickory Ridge have always said is we want to have the whatever it takes type of mentality. In other words, if I need to park in the back parking lot, whatever it takes. If I need to park at South Campbell, whatever it takes. Because why would we do that? Well, it's the attitude that Jesus had. Whatever it takes to save him. And he went all the way to the cross to prove it. And so may we be like him. Okay, here we go. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. The title of our message is Interrupted, and it, is, it really is good. Interrupted, and it really is good. Now, let me say this this morning why I said it really is good. How many of you have been interrupted in your lifetime somewhere along the journey? Raise your hand if you've been interrupted. Oh, my goodness, it's all of us. Some of you, like me, have been interrupted by a flat tire. Any of you ever had your day interrupted by a flat tire? How many of you like that? Don't you love? How many of you, all right, by show of hands, how many of you love for your plans in your day to get interrupted? (laughs) <laughs> we got one, and we'll have to talk later because I want to hear about that. So interruptions. We have our day plan. We have our energy focused. We have our mind uh, locked in. Uh, we are, we're directing our steps. We're headed in a direction, and something happens to interrupt us. Now, I can think about one of the earliest interruptions in my married life was my little versions of me and Tina. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You'll be out in the uh, sunshine and the heat doing something, and they'll stumble up on you, and they start asking you questions. Y'all have any kids like that? And they say, why this, Daddy? Why that? Why this and why that? And you're answering, you know, well, because of this. And, okay, why that? And you say, oh, because of this. And you tell them, why that? And about the fifth one, I say, where's your mama? Where's your mama at? Because I know, she, you know she's trying to get her two minutes of silence, and I need you to go back to her. Interruptions. They can be frustrating. Would you agree with that? Interruptions can be frustrating. Maybe you have a relationship you're building with someone and you're expecting to do life with them for the rest of the journey. And all of a sudden, some circumstance, some situation, or some feeling hits and it interrupts the plans that you have sort of geared your whole mind and life around. And if you have to, if you're honest with me this morning, you'd have to agree with me that sometimes interruptions can be painful. 
death of a loved one, death of a spouse, death of a child, interrupts things and brings things to a whole different route. Well, this morning we're going to look at when those interruptions that God sends are divine and they are good, okay? So here we go. I'm going to give you the main idea of the passage. Write it down somewhere, okay? Here it is. Very simple, very simple. What's the main idea of Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9? Here it is. Only Jesus saves. Now, I'm going to extract some things from the text and explain them to you to see where I determine this is the one singular focus when Luke is writing down what's happening in, in Paul's life, in Saul's life, and the life of the church, and the life, and, the, and what Jesus is doing, the reason he wrote it is for him to say to us today, only Jesus saves. Okay? Now, let's go back, and I want to, if I could, look at this passage in three scenes, if you will. Okay? Because this is a historical account. So the first scene I want us to take a gander at is, Roman numeral one, I want us to look at this particular part of the passage in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And here's what I want you to label it. You ready? The holy pursuit of the ungodly. The holy pursuit of the ungodly. Holy means other, meaning a category above the greatest you can imagine. That's holy. God is holy. Matter of fact, God's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. All right? So this holy pursuit, you know what pursuit is? Chasing after something. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever chased after something? Do you remember playing on the playground as a kid and chasing each other playing tag? Or playing a sport maybe and you're chasing the ball or chasing the wind and you're chasing after things? You've chased after people before, right? Any of you ever relationally chased after people? Anybody can remember when you were chasing after the apple of your eye? And chasing, pursuing, the idea of the holy pursuing that which is not. We labeled it the ungodly. You'll see why in a minute. Now when you hear the word ungodly, do you have a pleasant feeling? No, we get a little bit of a, oh man. But simply put, ungodly means not like God. Okay? Not like God. What does ungodly mean? Somebody help me. Okay, we got to participate. Thank y'all for that. Here we go. Roman number one, holy pursuit of the ungodly. Look in verses one and two. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. He went to the high priest, asked letters from them, uh, from him rather, to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if he found anybody in these synagogues, in these towns, in these places that were followers of the way, that he could arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem to have them stoned and, and, and killed. And so, you can imagine for just a moment, let's talk a little bit about this ungodly man by the name of Saul. He was a Pharisee. As a matter of fact, by his own testimony, he wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. You with me? And so, what that means is, you may be scratching your head today saying, what does that word Pharisee mean? And the word Pharisee is someone, if I was to just sort of describe them, they were an Old Testament guy, okay? They were steeped in tradition of the old covenant. They knew it backwards and forwards. As a matter of fact, they were very careful to live it in their everyday life. If you were to see a Pharisee today in Florence or Madison or Terry or Crystal Springs or wherever it is that you hang out, when you saw him, you would say, that is one of the most godly men I've ever laid eyes on. Why? Because the fruit on the outside would look to you like he's very careful to live according to God's word and God's way and God's design. And by the way, let me say this to you. God's laws, living them, will never make you right with God. So this man, you'd say, is a godly man. Well, well, why would you say that? Well, because here's another reason. Not only did he try to live perfectly on the outside, but he would, he would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Can you imagine quoting Genesis Exodus. Can you imagine quoting Leviticus? 
And you say, this man knows the, here's what you said about him. He's a godly man. Oh, he knows his Bible backwards and forwards. But here's what Jesus said about him. You ready? If you read through the Gospels of Jesus' life, you'll find there were one group of people that he was always offended by. And they were, can you guess? The Pharisees. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that you and I can only see the outside, but God sees the inside. And so these, these godly men, in our estimation, are going through life, and they're looking, look at us. We've got it figured out, and we've got the way. And here comes Jesus, why they hated him. He said, you don't have the way. I am the way. And they hated him for it. So Jesus, there were times when he'd rub and be in circles with them, and he would, did y'all know that Jesus called them names? I see Cliff's the only one in the house nodding his head. Okay, I got a few more nodding their heads. Do you remember some of the names that he called them? Whitewashed tombs was one. Let's talk about that. What did he say? He said, you are like a whitewashed tomb. So I says, okay, well, I'm a painted tombstone. Okay, what's so big about that? He said, you look beautiful on the outside, but the inside of you is like decaying dead bodies. Hmm. Another time, Jesus said, you are a brood of vipers, snakes. I want you to understand that Jesus is against self-righteousness. Because self-righteousness, according to the law, promotes us and not God. So, you have this Pharisee. He is chasing down people, and there's only one qualification to have him, or have him target you, to have him put you in his sights, and that one qualification is that not that you love God, not that you go to the synagogue, but the one qualification that put you in Saul's crosshairs to make him hunt you down was the one name. If you know his name, say it. Jesus. That's the only thing that he would chase you down and tear your family apart and have you stoned for was for the name of Jesus. If you were a follower of Jesus, he wanted to eradicate you. So, as I talk about the holy pursuit of the ungodly, I'm talking here specifically in the text of a man by the name of Saul. You would definitely say that Saul is not like God. Because he's targeting people and he's trying to destroy people and steal and kill and destroy. I want you to imagine for a moment, if you would, this man called Saul and what that was like and his life was like. I want to build a picture for you if I could through the scripture. If you have your Bible, excuse me, if you have your pen and you have notes, I want you to write down a few verses there. As we paint the picture of this ungodly man by the name of Saul. You ready? Write down Acts chapter 7 verse 58. Here's what it says. Acts 7 and verse 58. And they cast him out of the city. Now, so that you don't get it out of context, this speaks of a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen has been preaching Jesus. He's a follower of the way, and he's telling others about the way, okay? And they drag him out of the city, and what they do to him? Stoned him. And if you read the account of that, it's a beautiful account, because he's, he's praying for their forgiveness while they're bouncing rocks off his forehead. And the witnesses that were there laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man. This is backing up. At a young man by the name of Saul. There Saul is. And Saul is there according to Acts chapter, let's go one more verse. Acts chapter 8 verse number 1. Now Saul was there and he was consenting to his, Stephen's death. What does that mean? Cheering him on. He's saying you have permission under my authority to kill Stephen. He's saying Stephen is guilty because he's a follower of Jesus, and therefore we must eradicate him. He's saying, yes, throw the stones, throw the stones, throw some more. No, he's still alive. Keep throwing until he's dead. And Saul, if in, in our day and time, would be, you ready? The captain of the ISIS army. 
Now you say, wait a minute, what's the connection? He thought he was acting on behalf of God Almighty, okay? Uh, I want you to understand that ISIS and, and even radical Islam uh, operates under the, uh, the, the, the illusion, if you will, that they also are acting on behalf of God. Now, they use the Arabic term Allah, and some people are like, well, Allah's not God. Allah is the term for, in their mind, the same English word God is the Arabic term Allah. Are you with me? Now, I understand their idea of Allah doesn't line up with the Bible, but you have to understand they think that what they're doing is on behalf of God. So when you see those Christians lined up, and they're, they got their hands behind their back, and they're about to be executed one at a time, that was Saul. That was him. And I just want you to imagine if that was modern day. Wouldn't, and by the way, wouldn't you want somebody like that in your family? Can't you imagine, you know, bragging on your kids? Let me tell you about what Buck, man, Buck can play them drums, and Buck can do this, and Buck can do that. No, let me tell you about my other son. My other son named Saul. Let me tell you about what he does. He tears apart families. He drags men and women and children away from their homes, locks them in prison, and has them tried and stoned to death. Not because they've been mean, not because they've stolen, not because they've broken the law, but because they follow one name, one person, his name is Jesus. Can you imagine him moving in next door to you? Wouldn't that be nice? You know, hey man, have y'all heard about so-and-so moved in? Who, no, who is it? Oh, it's Saul of Tarsus. Well, what does he do? Oh, he's the captain of the ISIS army. Wouldn't you want to go over and bake a cake for him? Spend some time. Let him know first off that you're a follower of Jesus and know that his goal then would be to put you out, to take you out, to kill you and your family. And this was this ungodly man by the name of Saul. And I am just amazed by the fact that God is pursuing this guy. Because truth be told, you and I probably would not be. Anybody amen to that? And we know that he's killed family members. He's killed people. He's killed followers of the way. He's had them starved and stoned. Can you imagine? You know, you're going home from lunch, uh, from church today, and you're at home, and, and some of you got a roast in the crock pot, and I just lost somebody in here, I know, because you're thinking right now about how good that's going to taste. And you go home, and man, you're thinking about what you've heard, the message, and how good it was to have your family worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day, and how you're going to take a little nap later, and there's a knock at the door. And, you, and your bride gets up and goes to the door and opens the door, and there's Saul of Tarsus. And you say, Saul, it's so good to see you, man. And he grabs her by the hair. She said, he says, I need to know something. Are you a follower of Jesus? And she says, well, yes, I am. And we were at church today, and we loved you. And he grabs her by the hair of the head and by her hands and drags her out, and there she's gone. And maybe you, sir, in your recliner over there getting ready to watch Sunday football. Don't we have it easy? And you see her drag. You hear her screaming. You hop up. He says, I need to know one thing about you. No, you got my wife. He says, one thing about you, and there's guys ready to get you. Are you a follower of Jesus? And you say, well, yes, I am. By the hair of your head and by your hands, they drag you out and stone you in your front yard with everybody watching. One rock at a time until you die from it. Doesn't that sound like somebody you want to be in your family? You know, be your best friend? And yet, here is a holy God chasing after this Saul of I'm amazed by that. Let me tell you what else I am. I'm hopeful because of it. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, I mean, if he'll, if he'll chase after Paul, if he'll chase after Saul, then he'll chase after me. Hallelujah. I want you to know that whatever you've done, whatever you've done in this life, I'm certain you've not labeled people who put their faith in Jesus and then intentionally, legally had them executed because of their faith in Jesus. Oh, I know you feel like you've done some terrible things, and you feel like because of that, you can never know God and never walk with God. And I'll tell you this. If God can save Saul, he can save you. The holy pursuit of the ungodly. He is chasing after me and you. Isn't that good? Not to harm us, not to destroy us, but here's the crazy thing. 
to save us and forgive us. Let me just read a little bit more about this man. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 3, as for Saul, uh, let me just read in case you thought it was just a, a, a few people. You know, in case you thought it was just, you know, one family. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse number 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. That ecclesia, that means the called out ones. Those that were called out to walk with God through Jesus Christ, he made havoc. Now, making havoc sounds like, you know, what happened in the, in the baptistry room a minute ago. Right? There's a little havoc going on. That's not the havoc. That's not the, the Greek word for this is like a wild animal dragging away a, 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 a weak animal and just tearing it to pieces. And that's what this ungodly man by the name of Saul was doing to the church. He was wreaking havoc, entering houses and dragging. In case you thought that illustration I just did on a Sunday was, was bogus, read the rest of verse 3 with me. Entering which house? Every house. It wasn't just a few here and there. Entering every house he encountered. And what was the purpose? Dragging off men and women. Committing them to prison. And ultimately, many of them death. He was a murderer of Christians. A devastator of families. A violent man. An arrogant and prideful man. And yet, holy God was in hot pursuit of this man named Saul. What I want you to know today is that he also is in hot pursuit of you and me. Now, in your outline, I want to give you another phrase. Now, this really doesn't fit into the, what I've learned about outlines and all of the you know, stuff that we do in grammar and all the literature and nonsense. I didn't mean to say nonsense. Y'all be gracious for me. You're supposed to have a number two if you have a number one. You're supposed to have a B if you have an A, right, Brian? I'm supposed to follow the rules, but I just don't like those. And so I'm just going to have to just put this. It's a second point, if you will, but it's not. It's a sub-point. So holy pursuit of, an, of the ungodly is Roman number one. But add to that, holy purchase of the ungodly. Now, they go together. Holy purchase of the ungodly. Why do they go together? Because there would be no purpose of the pursuit if there was not a purchase. In other words, what reason would God have to chase you down if he had not purchased the price of your freedom and your forgiveness? Isn't that good news this morning? So there's a holy pursuit of the ungodly, but friend, let me just give you a verse here. Boy, this is good stuff too. There's a holy purchase of the ungodly. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. Would you read along with me as it comes on the overhead with me? I said there's a holy purchase of the ungodly. For when we were still without strength, somebody help me, in due time, which means at the perfect time, Christ died for the ungodly. There was a purchase that had to be happened before the pursuit. Are you with me? All he could do is chase you down and condemn you before now he can chase you down and set you free because Christ did not come into the world and condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I'm so amazed at God's pursuit of sinful man. And yet, at the same time, I've noticed in my own life, there's a deep down urgency that I wake up with in the morning that makes me want to chase people down with the good news of Jesus. By the way, do you have that? And if you don't, why not? And if you claim to be a follower of Christ, what do you think the disconnect is between his heart's desire outside of you and his heart's desire inside of you? You see, it shouldn't change. So there's an urgency to go and chase after those which have been purchased by the precious blood of the Lamb. Now, you may be thinking to yourself today, well, I'm not like Saul. I'm not that bad a person. I'm a pretty good person. I'm going to give you a verse there on that. It's James chapter 2 and verse number 10. Now, listen to this. James chapter 2 and verse 10. This is why it's so important that he pursues the ungodly. You ready? James 2 and verse 10. For whoever, y'all reading with me, shall keep the whole of God's law. All of it. All right, now just leave it up there for just a minute. Let's stop right there. 
Whoever keeps the whole of his law. In other words, when he says you should have no other gods before me, that's just number one. If you have never in your life given more time, attention, and resource to any other thing but God, hallelujah, you've kept the first commandment. Here's the thing I know about you. Anybody out there? We haven't. There's been sports we've given more time and talent. There's careers we've given more time. There's family we've given more time. Anybody out there? So we can't go to number eight, you know, two through nine, because we really got hung up on number one. But let's just say that we kept the whole letter of the law, and then we just stumbled in one little point of the law. Do you know what a stumble is? Leave that verse up there for me for just a minute. I want us to look at that, meditate on that for just a minute. You know what the word stumble? Have any of you ever fallen down? Raise your hand if you've ever fallen down one time in your life. Okay. Now, when you fell down, was it your intent to fall down, or were you intended to go on and keep walking straight where you were headed? Of course, you were intended to go where you were going, right? But something happened unintentionally. Uh-oh, somebody's picking up on something. Something got in your way. Something distracted you. Something tripped you. Something was slippery. And because of that, unintentionally, you and I fail. If you unintentionally stumble over one little tiny point of the law, then how guilty are you? You're guilty of it all. And so now we are identifying a little bit better with Saul, aren't we? Because Saul was fully guilty, guilty, and you and I were born fully guilty. Okay, now, the good news. He's pursuing us, amen? He was chasing after Saul. Saul's running away from him, running to believers to kill him, and God is running after him. Wow. Number two in your notes, quickly, the divine interruption. So first we saw uh, the holy pursuit of the ungodly. But we added in there a one or an A, whatever you want to call it, the holy purchase of the ungodly. And by the way, what was that purchase made with? Anybody know? Not gold or silver, any other perishable thing, but by the blood of the spotless lamb, the precious blood of the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Roman numeral two is found in verses three and four. Look with me. Saul's on his way. He's got it. By the way, he's got his papers. So you say, what does that matter? Well, if anybody pulls him over <laughs> on his horse and mule, and they say, where are you heading? I got my papers. I'm going to kill some folks. I'm going to have some people put in, put in jail. Well, they hadn't done anything. They hadn't broken any laws. Oh, yeah, I got my papers from the high priest. We're putting them on trial. And then by God's old covenant law, we're going to put them to death. And so he has his papers. Now, we're picking up in verse number three. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly, we're talking about divine interruption, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground. Can you imagine having a light so bright that you can't stand up? And uh, sometimes I feel like when I go out these doors, because it's kind of, it's not, it's bright in here, but it ain't bright like it is out there. And y'all know what I'm talking about when you go out of these two side doors? Anybody, I see the heads nodding over, but boy, you almost fall down, it's so bright. Can you imagine that times a, a, a 100? And there he is, face down on the ground. And so there's this divine interruption. He's headed to a place he wants to be. He's headed to a place he desires. He's headed to a place that's going to feel good to him. He's headed to a place he's already been. He's already been arresting them and having them murdered. He's headed to a place that is filled with destruction, and God interrupts him. You know what I woke up praying this morning? That maybe you're on a journey to a place you've already been. You're headed to a place where, where it feels good. You've done it before, but it's a place of destruction. You know what I prayed for you earlier this morning, beginning about 5 a.m., that God would interrupt you today, that you would have sense enough of the Holy Ghost 
to stop in your tracks and stop heading in the direction you're going because death and destruction and all kind of evil manner of things are waiting for you. And I pray that you wouldn't do it just because of a warning. I pray you do it because there's a holy God pursuing ungodly people like me and you. That ought to be enough, amen? Not the, not the consequences, but the fact that a holy God is chasing after me to keep me from having to experience the consequences of my own stupidity. Oh, he's a good God. Divine interruption. This light shines. He's face down on the ground. Verse number four. He falls onto the ground and he hears a voice. Now, let me just say this to you. Someone might say, well, I'm just upset. I'm just sick. I was doing this thing and God interrupted. I was starting this business and I wasn't, I wasn't doing it his way and God interrupted. I was uh, dating this person and, and, and something happened and broke up the relationship. I was uh, uh, stepping outside my marriage and the person moved away. Something happened and I'm disheartened. I'm discouraged. And what I pray unto God you do instead of that is you right now would just bow down on your face and say, oh God, thank you that you're gracious and kind enough to interrupt me in the midst of my struggle to ruin my own life, to ruin the lives of others. Thank you for intervening. Thank you for interrupting. Thank you for not allowing me to stay on this course that I have been on for so long. Aren't you glad he can do that? So this bright light shines, okay? And let me just say this. God's interruptions are for our rescue. You need to write that somewhere. You get frustrated, I get frustrated, we get upset, we don't understand, we don't know why it's happened this way, and we need to understand that God's interruptions are for our, help me y'all, our rescue. They're for our rescue. He's chasing after us. He wants that which is best for us. And so he chases after, and he will, and by the way, let me just pause right here and say, I'm thankful to God he'll interrupt me. Both when I was lost and now that I'm his child, he will interrupt my I'm just going to say stupidity. Is that okay with y'all? I've already said it, so I guess we just had to put it out there. All right? So, he'll interrupt our stupidity. Listen, he uses all kinds of people to interrupt our plans. Somebody ought to amen right there. He'll use our children. He'll use our neighbor. He'll use all kinds of things to interrupt our plans, to ruin things. He'll do it. God will. He'll use all kinds of situations. Somebody ought to amen. He'll use all kinds of circumstances. He'll use sickness. Hallelujah. You'll get a diagnosis. It'll interrupt the garbage you've been involved with. I've oftentimes said it this way, God will hem you up. He may hem you up in an ICU or a jail cell, but he'll interrupt your stupidity. I promise you he will. He'll do it. It's divine interruption. It's for rescue and not harm. Had a conversation with somebody this week, said, my family member, we've been begging them to do this and begging them to do that, and nothing has availed, and they got arrested this week, and we can't get them out, and we just see this message that, you know, we, we just believe that God's got them right where he wants them. And he does, so he can sit you down and speak to you, minister to your heart, direct your path. He'll even use creation, won't he, to draw us to himself. Let me move on to Roman numeral three. Can y'all believe that? We're already on Roman numeral three. This is where we're going to land the plane. Now, some of y'all are looking like, yeah, but you're going to circle that landing strip about ten times. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. Let's just hit this thing, all right, and finish this and land this plane. All right, Roman numeral three. Third scene. First scene, holy pursuit of the ungodly. The only reason he can chase after us is because he redeemed us. There's no point of the pursuit except we were purchased to set us free. Second, we saw divine interruption. Bright light shines, shuts down Mr. High Horse, and stops his plan, okay? Number three, write this down. True surrender that leads to salvation. We're going to see that in verses five through nine. True surrender that leads to salvation. All right, where are we going to find it? Acts 9, verses 5 through 
Nine, you're writing this down so you can go back and study it later. Also, share it with your coworkers, people that won't go to church with you. You're going to go out these walls and make disciples as you're going through life. You're going to share what you learned here today, and I'm so glad that you are. Here we go. All right? Put your eyes on verse number five. And he said, so, so he's, bright light shines. He's, he's blinded. He's down on his face. And all of a sudden, there's a moment here where Saul realizes he is not the man. Now, you and I, do you realize that you and I are born thinking that we are the man or the woe man? Do y'all know that about us? If you don't, we could just get you to go down to the nursery for just a little while and watch the kids play and see if they don't operate as if they are the man or the woe man, huh? Little bitty, huh? You ever, it always surprised me, little bitty suckers would look right up at me defiantly and do the opposite of what I told them to do. I'm thinking, you're so small, I could just push you down with one finger. And you're defiantly doing the opposite of what I told you to do. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So then we realize that we are, in fact, born sinners, separated from God with the nature of Adam. And so, thank God he pursues us and interrupts our nonsense. And so he does for Saul, and Saul is there. And don't you know, as he's laying there face down on the ground, and he hears this thundering voice. There's nobody there, but he hears this voice louder than anything. And it says his name, not just once, but twice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, can you imagine for a moment what that must have been like for this man who has done whatever he's wanted to do in any city he's wanted to do it for as long as he's been doing it to now be face down on the ground and have somebody calling his name so loud that he has to answer? Talk about a moment of humility. Did you know the Word of God says, if we will humble ourselves, God will exalt us, but if we exalt ourselves, God will humble us. Do you see the moment of humiliation here? Can you imagine walking up on a guy who is Mr. High Horse and he's down there on the ground and he can't get up and he can't see and he's, he's talking to this voice that's talking to him. I mean, can you, I mean it's, it doesn't look like very much of a guy there, right? And so there he is, face down. He's speaking. And by the way, I need to point out something about what Jesus said. He says, I'm Jesus who you are. Here's my question. Look up for just a minute. Was Jesus on the earth at the time? Had Paul interacted physically with Jesus in bodily form on the earth? No. So who in the world is Jesus calling himself? The church. Now here's a side note outside the message. I want to mind this thing for every nugget of truth that's there. And one of them is this. Be careful how you view and treat the church. Because that's how you view and treat Jesus. That's how you view and treat him. So... Uh, he says, I'm Jesus, uh, excuse me, he says, Saul, Saul, uh, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, now this is a good question to answer that with, right? He didn't say, because I don't like you, or because I'm an Old Testament guy. He says, who are you? <laughs> who, who is it that I'm talking to? Now I want you to imagine for a moment this man who, who thought he knew everything. Do you know anybody like that? Thought he knew everything and operated like it is now face down in humility and he's talking from his face down to the ground and he's saying, who are you? But notice that, who, it didn't just say, who are you, question mark. He says, who are you, comma, Lord, question mark. Now what's the point here? Saul has come to the conclusion he's not the man. He's come in this moment now, in this moment, bright light, down on the ground. Sometimes God has to put you down on the ground, doesn't he? For you to finally realize you're not the man. 
or the woman. And he says, who are you, Lord? That term meaning above everything else. Now, what happens between this and what happens next? I can't imagine the time. We don't know how long from when he said, who are you, Lord, to when Jesus said, I am. Come on, y'all say it with me. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. We don't know how long, but I'm just telling you, if it was a millisecond, it had to have been an eternity for, for, for Saul. Because his whole life has been devoted and committed to stamping out with great aggression and violence anybody who claims one particular name. Not ten names, not two versions of a name, one specific name. If you know the name, say it with me. Jesus. And his whole life... And his efforts and energy have been spent on not just rebuking or having a rebuttal to those followers of the way, but killing them. Tearing families apart. Every house. Every house. He's dragging them out. That's what it says. The word there is dragging like a wild animal. And he's, and he's only, not because they've stolen anything, not because they've broken any laws. The only thing these people have done is to commit their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, who are you, Lord? And I fully believe with all my heart, he's waiting to hear him say, some Old Testament name for God. Most likely the consonant sounds of Yahweh, right? Maybe Jehovah. Right, some form, uh, uh, El, maybe, he, maybe, he expect, maybe he would have been great with El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. Or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. You know, one of the Old Testament names for God. I think he would have been like, whew. But he says, who are you, Lord? And, this, and the response was what? Oh, man. Can you imagine the guilt of the little faces of the little people whose mamas... He had drug away and stoned in front of them. Can you imagine the shame of the men who were trying to defend their wives who were stoned for doing so all for the name of Jesus? Can you imagine in his mind the rehearsal of every house, say it with me, every house that he drug somebody against their will out of their own home for the one reason of because they trusted in Jesus. What that name must have done when it, when it hit his ear and translated to his mind and his heart oh no oh no not that name not that name what have I done how, how can God love me how, how could I ever be loved by God how could I ever be useful to God I've spent my whole life built on this lie that Jesus is nothing and nobody and I've pursued people and and cursed them and persecuted and tortured them because of it and now here I am in a moment of humility acknowledging that he is Lord talk about a devastating moment you know what it's a devastating moment isn't it, when you come face to face with your sin it's why we say this don't judge me translation let me sin in peace don't point it out. Don't talk about it. Leave it alone, right? But boy, when you come face to face with it and the Holy Spirit of God reveals it to you, I'm telling you it's devastating, isn't it? 
It'll crush you. And here he was. Now, how do you know? How do I believe he was affected? Well, let's read. He says, Jesus said in verse 5, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Those sharp wooden sticks that keep the, that keep the uh, oxen or the large animal heading in the right direction. Now, I want to relate this to something, if, if I could. The illustration I oftentimes use is uh, many of you in this room today, many of you listening out there or we're listening to the podcast later, you are kicking against the goats. Now, what I mean by that, a little maybe a translation for our modern era, is your stiff arm in the Holy Ghost. You're keeping the love of God at arm's length. And because of that, your life is just sort of existing rather than abiding and being very fruitful. And it's hard. You don't even realize how hard it is for you to resist the path that God has really designed you for. And boy, you're struggling and you know it. As I'm talking right now, somebody's looking down the car, you're thinking, good Lord, that's my, he's calling my number. And God is interrupting your plan, I hope. And right now you're contemplating something greater, something bigger, something of more value than what you've been doing so far. So he interrupts his plan and he calls his name and he says, I am Jesus. And in verse number six, we see his response. Two descriptive words in verse number six. Do you see them? They are trembling and I believe they go hand in hand. He was shocked that it was Jesus and not Yahweh. And because he was shocked, he was trembling. Have you ever trembled before? I've only trembled a few times in my life. Once when I was really, really cold. You ever done that when you're really, really cold? You know what trembling means? It's involuntary shaking. You you don't think Saul was not devastated by how he lived his life? He's violently shaking uncontrollably because he's so surprised, astonished, that it is in fact Jesus who is Lord of all. Now watch what happens here. We, we, we call this last section uh, the divine, uh, excuse me, the true surrender that leads to salvation. So what he says in the next few verses, verse 7, the Lord said to him, uh, so he trembling and astonished says something back. He calls him Lord one time because he knows the light and the voice is definitely more powerful than Saul of Tarsus. But the second time, now knowing that it is in fact Jesus who he's dealing with, he says, what do you want me to do? And what does he call him there? Lord. Did you know that the Bible says, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know the Bible says in, in, in Romans chapter 10 that you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord in order to be saved. Did you know that? So here is a picture of that. The man who wrote that by the Holy Spirit's power on his face, knowing it's Jesus, calling Jesus what? Lord. He addressed him, Lord. He didn't say teacher. He didn't say rabbi. He didn't say Jesus. He said Lord. And not only is this confession a verbal one, but the question that he poses after proves the posture of his heart, which is humility. He says, Lord, I'm going to go to Damascus. No, no, no. Lord, I'm going back home. Nope, nope. He says, Lord, help me somebody. What do you want me to do? My life is now turned over to you. My yes is on the table. I wonder why many of us have missed out on that is in fact true salvation. I wonder where along the line we thought we'd just pray a prayer and keep doing what we want to do. And even hear Jesus say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and still not do the things I say? Like many of us have heard, go and make disciples, and probably 80% of us are not making disciples. And I can't for the life of me make the connection of how we can keep going on, believing that somehow we're a follower of Christ, but not following Christ. And he says, what a, what a, what a posture of humility. Lord, 
What do you want me to do? Lord, who do you want me to marry? Lord, what career do you have for me? Lord, what place do you want me to work? Lord, what business do you want me to start or not start? Lord, what do you... You see the difference? True salvation is such a place of authentic acknowledging that he is Lord, not just in word, Lord, but in deed. What do you want me to do? Can you imagine for a minute what your life and my life would look like if we really began each day by saying, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do today? And then when he answers, listen, stick with it. Someone said to me, I'm praying. It happens every week, you guys. I don't know what God wants me to do. I said, I'm glad you came to me because I do. How do you know about me? Because you're like me. He said his followers are to make disciples. That's it. But I don't know where he wants me to work. I said, well, just work somewhere and pay the bills and see what happens, right? He'll direct your paths. But my boss is mean, and I know God don't want to know. The Bible didn't say that everything you and I do is going to be easy. And so wouldn't it be good if you and I just simply today said, you know what? That's right. And God interrupt my, interrupt my path, interrupt my life, interrupt my plans. Now, for some of us, listen, for some of us it's going to be a little harder than others, isn't it? Come on, I want you to think with me. Some of us are going to be a little harder than others. And as I look out at a sea of faces, let me tell you, it's a little easier right here, and it gets harder as you go out. You know why? Because a lot of these down front still have their whole lives ahead of them. They've got decisions that they're going to be making in the next five, ten years that sort of locks you. Come on, somebody. Sort of locks you into some consequences. Come on, I wish somebody would nod your head or say, I'll wake up for me out there. There's some decisions they're going to be making that are going to be hard to turn away from. You know, because you've made them, and now you're stuck in them. And so to you guys, I'd say, be careful to counsel God for every decision you make. Here's my life. Show me when, where, how, why, and help me to be humble and do it. Not, not to get me to heaven, not to make God love me more, but because he loves me so much. To the rest of us, we say, well, I'm glad he said that to you because I've already messed up and it's over. No, no. God's brought you here to interrupt your plan today. And for you to look at it and say, you know what? It's worth, if I have to trash, uh-oh, if I have to trash my plans and agenda, oh, me. And go back to the author and creator of my faith and say, Lord, here's my life. I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm 70, and I'm just sort of, here I am. Show me what you'd have me to do from this day forward. And fully commit. Now what I want to do for just a minute is invite you to bow your head with me for just a moment. See, I told you we were landing the plane. And I want you to ponder that question. Okay? Let you put your stuff away. I want you to ponder the question. What was the question? The question that... Saul asked Jesus. What was it? Come on, everybody together. One more time, a little louder. Would you just take a minute and ask God that? No hidden gimmick, no tricks, no deep theological quest, just simply, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do based on what I've heard? If he's saying today you need to be saved, I've been pursuing you, then I beg you in your chair right there or in the captain's chair or in your patrol car, in the ambulance, at the nurse's station, wherever you find yourself, I beg you right now, turn your life over to Jesus. You don't have to come down and I'll hold my hand to do that. Right in your chair, right driving down the road with your eyes open, you can trust Jesus 
the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins, who rose from the dead, you can trust Him in such a way that you confess Him as Lord, meaning you say, Lord, here's my life. Whatever you want to do, here it is. I'm turning my life over to you. Would you be Lord of my life? You know what He'll do? He'll save you. He'll forgive you. I feel like dancing. He'll wipe the slate clean. You kidding me? You, listen to this. You can't go into heaven with a search team and find one shred of evidence anywhere in all of heaven that Saul ever did one thing wrong. Oh, and you could look for my name under there too. And you couldn't find one single thing that I've ever done wrong. Thanks to Jesus. Wouldn't you trust him today? Just a minute, you'll have an opportunity to come, but you don't have to. Baptism is the public expression of your faith. But today you can invite Jesus to be Lord. Now I'm going to do this for the sake of who to pray for. With heads bowed and eyes closed. And because the room is so big and it's sort of dimly lit and there's a lot of people packed in every little space. When I ask this question, I just want you to slip your hand up. And don't, don't bump the person beside you. This is a private thing. I'm not going to come find you. I'm not into tricks and gimmicks. But if the Holy Spirit is drawing you today and you've surrendered and invited Jesus to be Lord, to be certain of that, would you just hold your hand up for just a second for me so that I could pray? I'm just going to pray. I see you there. Any others? Just slip your hand up. Just keep it up for a second if you would. I see you back there. Just Any others? Just slip them up. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for those who slipped their hands up, maybe even those who didn't. If they meant it with their whole heart, they would know today they've been born again. If they would turn from themselves and turn into Jesus, you'll do for them what you've done for me and what you did for Saul. You'll change them. You'll set them free. You'll save them. Maybe you're here and you follow Christ, but you've never followed through in baptism. It's a secret. You've never gone public. Maybe the Spirit of God is directing your steps on that. Brian's down front. I'm coming down in just a moment. You come. We want to help you with that. Maybe you've drifted far from the heart of God. And God brought you here today to interrupt your plans. Maybe you've given up on life. Maybe you've contemplated taking your own life. Maybe you just don't see any joy to life. And God brought you here to interrupt you and say to you, you are special. You're made in the image of God. And he loves you and has a great plan for your life. No one can stop that. Lean on him. Draw near to him. Maybe you've messed up in a major way. And because of that, the enemy has kept you from believing that God loves you. And he can still restore you. And he did it for Saul. He'll do it for you. So the altar's open. I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. I wonder if there's a brother or sister who might come down and pray for the lost. I wonder if there's even one that would just come down and just pray. Lord, if there's one lost soul in our building or who's listening to this message somewhere is lost, would you save them? Would you take the blinders off their eyes? Would you set them free? Would somebody come pray that? Thank you all for leaving your seats. Just come ask the Lord to do that. Only God can save. Maybe there's somebody on your heart. Maybe there's a friend of yours. They're not walking with God. You don't know whether they're lost or saved, but you know they're not experiencing the fullness of joy of walking with Jesus. Would you come and pray for them? Just come call their name out to the Lord. So, Father, take this time of response, and God, do whatever it is that you want to do. Thank you for pursuing me, the ungodly. Thank you for divinely interrupting my plans. Lord, I'd be running an asphalt business right now. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and giving me the gospel to share with others. Father, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.